This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore and for Sasha Ann Simons. The start of this school year is coming fast and it can be a chaotic time of year. Kids have to switch gears from vacation mode to study mode and it's not always easy. As much as we like our kids to take a real break from learning over the summer, we know summer learning loss or the summer slide is very real, especially since research suggests many students are still struggling with the effects of learning loss created by the pandemic. So how can parents and teachers work together to not only identify, but help kids through the summer slide and prep them for a successful school year? Joining us in the studio is Monica Bott, Senior Research Director at the University of Chicago Education Lab. Monica, welcome back to Reset. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Paula Hooper, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Northwestern School of Education and Social Policy. Hi, Paula. Hi. And rounding out our panel is Jenny LaFleur, although she may be known to you as Mama Fresh. Hey there, Jenny. Hey, Natalie. All right, Monica, give it to us plain and simple. What is the summer slide? And something that I'm curious about, is that the right term we should even be using? I think it's a really popular term that people use, but really it's just thinking about the the kinds of academic loss that kids experience between the end of one school year and the beginning of the other. And I think that we should think about this um, in the context of uh, our overall society where there are some kids who don't have as many opportunities as other kids. And so what I really want to focus our attention on is disparities in outcomes for students and how we can empower parents and educators to think about what kinds of interventions and services are really helpful. So we do see evidence that kids... uh, you know, do lose some uh, math learning between the end of one school year and the beginning of another school year. But I think what we really want to think about and worry about is how can we support students in learning uh, more than their other peers so that we can start to reduce some of the disparities in student outcomes we see. But some parents might be saying, hey, it's a long summer. Kids are just rusty. They'll be fine after the first week. Is there something to that or not? (laughs) Look, I'm a parent myself, and I know that the only thing that I care about for my kids is not just that they're good at math. I want them to be well-rounded kids. And so it's important for kids to go out and play. It's important for them to have experiences beyond the classroom. So I don't think parents should feel guilty about that. There's a lot of anxiety in today's age about parenting, and we don't need to add to that. Uh, At the same time, I think we see a lot of evidence that parents – Uh, don't know how their kids are doing in school, and they don't know how their kids are doing relative to other kids. And that is really important in empowering information for parents to know. Parents should be asking, how are my kids doing? And how are they doing relative to others in our city, in our country? And uh, be able to advocate for the kinds of uh, interventions and academic supports that are really going to help their kids. And so I think it's not that parents should be doing something more or different than, than what they're doing, but uh, I hope what we can talk about is the kinds of things you should be seeing during the school day that the school should be providing that are really going to help support students. Um, that that candidly, lots of parents. Um, who are affluent are already providing their kids. And what we want to be able to think about is how to systemize that so that we're not um, sort of feeding into inequalities across their city and country. Paula, what are the signs that Summer Slide might be happening to our kids? Well, in a way, I think that Summer Slide is something that is a little bit overblown for what pe- what, for what it really is, right? Yes, kids might... Um, um, their test scores, some of their skills might go down a little bit, but what they, but learning is something that happens all the time, and so 
the kinds of learning that, that parents do with kids, the ways that um, parents can help kids to focus, can help kids to listen, those are the types of things that I think will help them more in school so that when they go to school, they'll feel strong about who they are. They'll feel like, I can learn what I need to learn in school. They'll be excited about learning in school. And those are the things that, that I would want parents to really um, feel strong about focusing on. Jenny, what's your reaction? Is this something that you were familiar with, or is it something, the summer, summer slide term, something that uh, came up for you recently? So it's something I'm familiar with and first got introduced after our kids returned to the classroom after the break from COVID. So that was something I was concerned about, the loss of learning between the last time they were in the classroom. After that research, and that's when I came up with, that's when I found Summer Sly. Very anecdotally, I have a six-year-old that's entering the first grade. And one of his friends told him he forgot how to read. So these are kids that are having to really get back in the groove of learning. And something that I think that Paula mentioned is that something we're working on at home is really extending that area of focus. So we've been doing reading over the summer. So I'm like, let's set a timer. Let's see if we can do it for 25 minutes instead of our 20 minutes. So really stretching that and getting back in the groove of back to school. You know, God bless my principal on the last day of school. She sent note saying, okay, here's the link. Your kid should be doing iReady over the summer, which is a, a CPS thing. We did not do any iReady over the summer. You and know why? Because I was ready to okay. have a break. <laughs> I was ready to chill and hang out outside and to go to movies in the park and to stay up late to try to catch fireworks. All those things. And I'm glad that I, my parenting was validated by Monica because she said that those things matter as well. Yeah, I mean, Paula. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, when you're going to a movie and you have a conversation with your child after that movie, or you have a little little child draw a picture that says what they think about the characters, all of those things are getting in the mindset of what you need for school. I think teachers want that more than necessarily knowing that they remember all their, their facts. Those can be developed, but what can't be developed as quickly is the ability to um, take an idea and feel confident and sure about sharing that idea and listening to other kids and being a part of a group where ideas are developing. My, oh, go ahead, Monica. Oh, I was just going to add that I think this is um, very true and actually where we should worry about it because the, what we see with Summer Slide is that kids can lose a month of learning. But the, the thing that we really should worry about isn't, uh, you know, to Paula's point, the fact that they're, you know, losing learning on facts. It's that kids' home environments, because our society is not built in a structurally equal way. Kids' home environments are really different. And so um, while one parent might be sort of working on these enrichment activities with their kids and working on critical thinking, uh, other parents might be uh, really tired and, you know, saying, well, we're just we're going to have the TV on as a babysitter, um, you know, which I do myself. And so it's really just about the ratio of when that happens and how that happens and the fact that kids are getting these unequal experiences over the summer. And so my um, sort of uh, focus is really thinking about when you get back to school, not putting the onus on parents again um, who are already sort of, you know, 
tired and uh, stressed. But when you get back in school uh, and kids are attending, how can we make that as productive as possible to mitigate some of those unequal circumstances that kids might be experiencing and make sure we're not exacerbating that inequity but leveling the playing field so that, so that kids are getting really what they need um, and kids who maybe didn't have as much of an enriching environment can accelerate their learning so that they're not falling even further behind. So are, are teachers rethinking about what those first couple of weeks of school should be like, students returning to the classroom and addressing the, the summer slide? What, what can teachers do when those students first come back? Okay, I, I think the first thing is to create a classroom culture where kids feel comfortable being who they are, saying their ideas the way that their ideas come to them, um, drawing on experiences that they have and having those experience feel, experiences feel like they have a place in the classroom, and have, getting support, knowing that their parents and their teachers are working together to support them. Um, I worked with a teacher once uh, for my postdoc who all of her kids were like kindergarten level when they came. They were second grade in her class, and she got them growing across that whole year by saying to the parents, don't do all of, worry about doing all this stuff to catch them up, but here are some things that you can do. Here's some ways that you can help them plan out meals or help them plan, write stories together or create a classroom culture in your home that's resonant with the way that we're doing it in school. And I feel those, those are the kinds of things that I think teachers want parents to worry about. Is Summer slide an equal opportunist? You just mentioned kindergarten. Do we mm-hmm. see it? Is it elementary? Is it middle school? Is it high school? Well, research, but my understanding is that research shows that across the board, um, there is, in terms of the things that tests measure, there's a little bit of loss. But there's all kinds of thinking about how you address that and how you worry about that. And mostly it's about the, the kinds of things that have been said, that you want to support teachers and parents in working together to help children feel like they can grow. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore and for Sasha Ann Simons. As the start of the new school year creeps closer, we wanted to learn more about learning loss. We're talking with UChicago Education Lab's Senior Research Director, Monica Bott, Northwestern's Assistant Professor, Paula Hooper, and Mama Fresh parenting blogger, Jenny LaFleur, about how to combat that summer slide. Monica, you were going to weigh in on that. Uh, Just to echo what Paula was saying, I think teachers can create classroom routines and really create a connection with kids because you want kids to be excited to school and uh, excited to go to school and excited to learn. Um, Nothing can happen if that's not true. I think that's really a first order, but it's not enough for kids to learn math and to learn reading. And those are really important skills for kids to have. Um, And so I think in addition to teachers creating classroom um, routines, you know, I mentioned we don't want to overburden parents who are already burdened. Educators are too. They're you know they're tired. They're anxious. We uh, see a lot of uh, um, fatigue from the pandemic era, and so I think one thing we know is the pedagogical solution to helping some kids learn more than others in the same amount of time, and that is working one on one with students. So what do what do affluent parents do uh, when their kid is falling a little bit behind? They go to tutoring, and they say, "Here's a tutor who can work with my kid on skills, meet them where they are." Make sure that they're practicing in a way that is relevant for them. And then kids start to say, I'm actually good at this. You know, I thought I wasn't a math person, but I oh, turns out I'm good at math. I like math. I'm good at school. I like school. Um, and the real challenge I think we have is to how to make that kind of 
tutoring accessible to all kids. And one of the ways we can do that is by embedding that kind of individualized instruction or tutoring during the school day. So, you know, why shouldn't your kid be getting tutoring uh, at school so that you don't have to do it at home. We're not tasking your teacher to do yet another thing. And it's actually helping the teacher out as a support because now the teacher has more hopefully trained adults, you know, during the school day where kids are getting that practice time. And it's just a more effective way to deliver instruction in a way that kids, you know, can really access that information at their level. They start practicing. Um, and then it turns out they they get better at it. And so I think those are the kinds of interventions that, um, you know, that we can focus on and that parents should really be asking their uh, teachers in their school whether they're they're embedding what kinds of personalized individualized instruction am I is my kid getting for something that they need specifically I've seen some experts recommending students not take a break at all and that school be year-round well we have someone weighing in on that my seven-year-old <laughs> Sky, who was not too happy when she heard that idea I don't really like that because you need a break because, like, if your brain gets overworked, then you're gonna then you're gonna forget stuff because there's too much stuff in it. Too much stuff. Monica, is she right? Do you have too much stuff in your brain and you get overloaded and you shouldn't go to? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Sky's reading my mind. I have too much stuff in my brain. <laughs> um, it is true that uh, you do need a break, and I think all the research on cognitive science shows that you can't, you know, keep working your brain uh, without some rest. That's true in, you know, working out and exercise. It's also true in cognitive um, work like learning as well. Um, the question about uh, how long the break needs to be is, I think, one that, you know, we could discuss. So our school system is set up on an agrarian calendar. That's why we have such a long summer. Um you, most people are not working in the agriculture industry anymore and so don't have schedules that align. And so I do think that uh, we need radical and transformative ways to rethink how we're delivering instruction, how we're sort of cultivating kids and, and um, instilling a sense of curiosity. And I do I, I actually do think that uh, just from a working parent perspective, it actually would make a lot more sense, certainly from a summer slide perspective and a research perspective. I think we would see less... Uh, learning loss or slide if the breaks were more intermittent and shorter. Um, so it's not to not take a break. It's just how long should that break be? And should they be more spread out during the school year so you don't just have this, you know, four-month block where you're you completely, you know, especially for little kids, they forget how to go to school. They forget how to stand, you know, on the third tile from the right or whatever kids are doing these days. Um, and so if you had more um, sort of intermittent, breaks throughout the school year, it, it actually would make more sense. But it would require a lot of political uh, will uh, to change the school calendar to that way. Um, I think some research shows that when schools do change to a year-round calendar, like in, in some charter networks, um, it is beneficial for, for students. But then they have longer sort of two or three week breaks between quarters. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to bring Jenny back into the conversation to get parent reaction to some of this. Our guests have been Monica Bott from UChicago's Education Lab, Paula Hooper with Northwestern University, and Mama Fresh blogger Jenny LaFleur. They're sticking around, and we're going to continue this conversation, and we'll talk through some ways to prevent learning loss. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore, in for Sasha Ann Simons. We're continuing our conversation on summer slide or a learning loss that kids face over summer break. But how can parents and teachers support kids to tackle it and get them back on track 
to start the school year right. Our panel today includes Monica Bott, Senior Researcher, Senior Research Director at UChicago Education Lab, Paula Hooper, an Assistant Professor of Instruction at Northwestern University, and Jenny LaFleur, creator of the, mom, of the blog Mama Fresh. Welcome back. Um, Jenny, is Summer Slide something that you're hearing in parenting circles or blogging circles? Very much so. And it's so interesting being in this room with um, professionals that are really stressing the social-emotional development and things that we should be doing. But as a parent and a parent who kids attend public school, I think we have to be very honest is that soon as my child, within the first couple of weeks, enter his classroom, he will be assessed. And that's through testing. And so while I want, you know, I had on my list of things to talk with him about being the social um, the social emotional because he'll be in a classroom with 28 students and so how to deal with that. But it is very real that he will be assessed and we will have a printout in his take home folder of where he stands. And I know that because the one of where he stood at the end of the year is on the side of my refrigerator. So it's kind of, it's hard not to compare those two. So while I do understand from a grand perspective that we should really be worried about the learning that they're doing every day, I think a lot of parents are really concerned with where do our kids stand as they come back in? Are they still on that track? Are they still reading at the level that they did at the last year? And I know that that's true because you see the rise in enrichment camps that are happening for the summer. Some kids for the summer were making up camp songs and playing dodgeball. But there's a high percentage of kids that were attending STEM camps, that were, that were attending science, math, and development. And I believe that those parents were doing that in order to prevent some of the learning loss that happens over the summer. But then this gets into the question of how do you make well-rounded kids. I was reading a Facebook post in a mom's group, and this mother was complaining about the camp she sent her kids to because there was no enrichment. And all the moms are like, did you even read the description? That's not an enrichment camp. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with being outside and running around. Like, that was a very fine camp. So, I mean, I know there's socioeconomic mm-hmm. things involved here, but also how do you let a kid be free? Like, enrichment, I think about enrichment. Okay, well, maybe if you're a little older for some of those high, intense camps, mm-hmm. what do you do for just letting a kid be a kid and maybe supplementing some of that at home. I think it's also where we place value. So it is the things we brag about, the things that are that are grand, the grandparents and people ask about what level are they? Are they reading at this you grade? Know these grandparents didn't send us to all these kind of kids. Our grandparents <laughs> never. I went, you know, I made the radical move of sending my kid to a park district camp this summer and it was not the most popular thing in our, in my mom group circle I have to be honest because they like well what do they do and I was play. Like, they play and at the end in our personal conflict and they said and well, <laughs> very much so and they said and so what report did you and I said there was a talent show where they and they choreographed the whole talent show 14 six year olds all by themselves and they were very proud of it but that was a radical conscious move that I had to make and I said and we're not going to supplement this by also attending a STEM camp over. He's been, I'm in the gap right now. He's out of camp, not in school. So he's been going to work with me. And so like a lot of working parents. So I think it's where we place value. And I know this is a bigger conversation, but I do want to say a lot of parents are worried about that loss. 
Well, last week you and I took our kids, <laughs> who are mm-hmm. friends, to the Museum of Contemporary Art. And these are my ways of, I mean, I love art, so you're going to love what I love. Um, <laughs> and it's a field trip. Mm-hmm. But these are also moments for me, I mean, all, all year round, but we did four museums last week. Mm-hmm. These are ways to do education. And Jenny, you actually wrote a, uh, some uh, tips on mm-hmm. going to the museum with your kids and why this is important. I think it was, and it was so interesting because Sky and OBQ have been going to museums now that we know for years. We had a picture of when they were just so right much smaller. Right before the pandemic. Right before the <laughs> pandemic at the MCA. And I had a friend that reached out to me, and she's young and cute and vibrant and all over the city. She's in her 20s, no kids. And she said, you took him to that exhibit she said was it too heavy she said some parts were too heavy for me so was it too heavy for them and I said it's all about age appropriateness I don't try to push too much on him but he's in the space they had a blast they were getting parts of it that we didn't even get with the notebook back and forth writing their thoughts and drawing it in pictures and that's how we choose to adopt learning we live in a city of 77 neighborhoods each with their own groove and culture. And so exploring the city, taking advantage, and we went on a free day. So taking advantage of these offers really is how my approach to combating what some would call a summer slide and also learning throughout our daily life. Monica, before the break, you talked a little bit about tutoring. Um, But can you tell us more about high-intensity tutoring and how that affects kids? Sure. Um, So high-impact tutoring is uh, tutoring that happens during the school day in really small ratios. So, for example, you've got two kids sitting with one tutor. These days uh, in the post-pandemic world, it could be virtual, but uh, we've been doing studies of tutoring uh, for over a decade now. So before that, it was just, you know, sitting at a little table with two kids and one tutor. Um, And we see that when you have a structured curriculum, dedicated time in the school day, and a trained and supported tutor, which is really key, uh, kids can learn two or three times as their peers in the same school in the same grade. And so this is what I mean by saying parents who who are worried and should be worried about their kids' uh, academic performance because they're going to be competing with you know other kids who, who are getting those kinds of supports. And um, so I think parents should be asking whether their kids are getting those supports. We see that kids who get that kind of tutoring learn two or three times more than their peers. The question is, how do we uh, staff that? You know, how do we sort of take that to scale so that all kids can get that level of tutoring? The truth is, even with the billions of dollars that the federal government invested um, in ESSER funding after the pandemic, it's still not enough to give every two kids, you know, a trained and supported tutor. But what we can do is try to understand how to take that at scale, and that's some of the work that we're doing now, which is instead of two kids and one tutor, can it be four kids and one tutor? And the kids work every other day on a math platform like iReady or Alex or Khan, and that way they're still getting some individualized instruction, but they're still getting some support and motivation that the tutor is providing, and they're, they're forming that human connection that's really important for kids. And so, so is I ready tutoring? <laughs> it, I feel like I'm learning something. I thought, I, I'm not going to say I thought it was busy work, but I didn't. I just thought it was a homework thing online. But when I think of tutoring, I suppose I'm thinking of someone who comes to your house or at the library and they're doing one-on-one. So are there multiple types of tutoring? 
There are, and I would say that parents should advocate for um, the most evidence-based version, which is high-impact tutoring, which is during the school day. Because what we see as, you know, what we think of as sort of traditional tutoring is really homework help, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to the library, you stay after school, and someone's kind of helping you with your homework or your assignments. That's not really the best way to learn um, in a progressive way because what you need is – Uh, someone to teach you content at your level in a way that you can progress. So the analogy I like to use is, you know, I've candidly never been a struggling learner, but I have always been a struggling athlete and continue to be. Um, So if someone said to me, you know, go run a 5K or go run a half marathon, I I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I don't know. I I probably have the potential to, um, but it's harder for me than for most people to do that. Um, If someone said, here's a training plan, then maybe I could do it. Um, If someone gave me a training plan and checked in with me every couple of days, I'm probably more likely to do it. If someone showed up at my house, laced up their shoes with me and went on my runs with me, I definitely could do it. Um, and that's kind of what tutoring is in this high impact way where you have consistent time during the school day to, to work with your coach, your, your tutor and someone who's going to hold your hand and say, uh, let's work on this math problem. What are the kinds of misconceptions you have? And I think A lot of times what we do in teaching is to say that requires a lot of pedagogical expertise. Teaching is just a really hard job. You have to be engaging parents. You have to be managing a classroom. You have to be working with your school leadership. I mean, you're thinking about scope and sequence of your curriculum. It's just it's a very hard job. Um, Tutoring is much easier. You've got the structured curriculum. Uh, You with some training, you know, most tutors can use it and you your job is to march a student through that and to keep them motivated enough and active enough to do it. So platforms like iReady uh, help sort of uh, uh, take that curriculum, which used to be paper and pencil based, and they make it more adaptive. So, you know, it's sort of built into the platform. You get this question right. Okay, you go on to another question that's just slightly harder. You know, it's like, oh, you're, you know, you're, I don't even know what the the mileage rates are. See, I really am a struggling learner. But, uh, you know, you're running 100 yards in this amount of time. Try to shave a couple of seconds off is kind of the the way to think about it. Um, And the platform just does it automatically. And I think the technology has gotten a lot better. But, you know, we know you can't just sit a kid in front of a a computer and say, go learn, uh, because kids are going to use it uh, differentially. And so you you need kind of a mix of both the tutor and the platform. Paula, what are the biggest challenges to tutoring in general? Well, I think... One of the things that um, was brought up is about how tutors have to listen to kids' ideas. Sure, you can have platforms that support it, but I think we get into a problem when we think that the platform is what's teaching them. The teachers are what's teaching them, whether, whether or not it's a tutor or it's a classroom teacher. It is really important for them to be able to hear kids' ideas. And if you're listening to kids, then you know that when, when they've been playing this summer, like my, my niece went to a dance camp and she learned the cha-cha slide and she learned lots of different patterns, you know that as a teacher, that's setting her up for learning place value. Right, And so you want to draw on that when you help her build other ideas. You also know that, uh, and I hope, and tutors that are trained in understanding things like the Common Core State Standards and Next Generation Science Standards will know that getting kids involved in asking their own questions and being able to engage in figuring out how to solve a problem is 
actually more important in the long run than being able to run through particular practice on things. So I think that the tutoring that is, has, brings more of that complexity to understanding how you hear kids' ideas and how you develop ideas, I think that's the way to go. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. As the start of the new school year creeps closer, we want to learn more about learning laws. And we're talking to U Chicago Education Lab's Senior Research Director, Monica Bott, Northwestern University's Paula Hooper, and Mama Fresh blogger, Jenny LaFleur. Um, adjusting to a new schedule can be challenging, especially with the stress of returning to school. Jenny, what tips do you have for parents? I was listening to a story um, you all had on recently about returning back to sleep and the importance of sleep and children. And I think that some of those old school values, like in my household, we're already practicing bedtime. So we're rolling that summer freedom back a little bit just to get back into that routine. I'm going to try to do my best so he can show up for his best as for his teacher. And I think part of that is... um, executive functioning, like literally being able to get yourself ready in the morning on a time schedule. Camp is a lot more loosey-goosey. He has a uniform. He has book bags. He has lunches that need to be packed. So kind of going through that, almost like a rehearsal. And I think that can build confidence and kind of take away the stress of those first days and first weeks. As parents, are adjusting and getting ready for back to school. I know a lot of um, the Chicago public school system does great district-wide rallies, and our school is having their family palooza um, tomorrow, today. That's how my calendar is. I think it's tomorrow, but they're having theirs soon. I think as we prep, remember, you don't have to get ready for the entire school year. Get ready for that first couple of weeks. Get those uniforms ready. Get those outfits ready. And you can take it as it comes. I think some of the pressure that we put on parents is that we have to have it all together. And you don't need to have it all together. Not for those first couple of days. Paula, can you add to that? What do parents need to keep in mind when it comes to motivating kids to get back in their instructional routine? (laughs) Well, I think they definitely need to keep in mind that it's fine for your child to be your child. You don't have to push your child to become somebody else in school. Teachers should be learning to understand who your child is and how your kids thinks about the ideas that are there and how to help them get from point A to point B. So Try not to hold that stress as a parent that your child isn't ready, but to hold to hold the the lovely potential that you know parents often see with little kids. You know they get so excited about each thing that a little kid does, but somehow when you get into school, you can't be excited that okay they figured out you know how to add in a different way today. That's just important as figuring out that you know a young child figured out how to feed themselves, and I think that holding those ideas is really going to help um, kids most in school. And Monica, what about when it comes to motivating kids to study or to do that tutoring when they'd rather be on their device, <laughs> computer, watching television? Oh, well, I'm, I'm still learning as a parent myself, but I do think that information is, is key. And so I would encourage parents to, you know, ask what their kids' test scores are, you know, ask what is happening in schools uh, that's going to support their kid, and talk to your kid about why it might be important to have those kinds of skills, um, even if they might not see, you know, seem relevant. So I think one thing that came up today is that it's not just like instructional, you know, practice over here and then enrichment over here. Those things can actually be combined. It's not a binary choice. You can try to to combine them and, and do both at the same time. 
We've been talking to Monica Bott, who is the Senior Research Director at UChicago Education Lab. Paula Hooper is an Assistant Professor of Instruction at Northwestern School of Education and Social Policy social policy and Jenny LaFleur is the mom behind the blog Mama Fresh thank you all for joining us and happy first day of school that's coming very soon very very soon can't wait